Hey, what's up everyone? I'm Britton Stepatic and this is Loki Legends. And today we're gonna do something a little bit different. We're gonna dive into my top five lessons learned over the course of 2023, looking through the lens of Loki Legends from past guests and interviews and diagnose what problems we can solve and take away and apply to our businesses in 2024. This lesson I took away from Patrick Torres from Studio Freight. He has this incredible dedication and this hustle and this drive to make the best work possible. And I think that we all do as creative individuals, but he does this thing where he and the team set limitations and achievements that they have to unlock so that they're always one-upping their work and almost gamifying it in a way where they are pushing the boundaries consistently. And that's what I took away, is that we constantly need to be beating ourselves in the competition of life, not competing against everyone else. We need to be competing against ourselves, making better work than we did yesterday, and striving to always progress and do better. So let's roll the clip. I'd like to kind of go back to the idea of making cool shit. How much is that encouraged during the day-to-day -day with, with kind of client work as well as kind of like passion projects or maybe even the encouragement of team to make cool shit outside of the office? For us, the bar is always like continually higher and we set all of these sort of like limitations on ourselves in terms of like what we can and can't do on certain projects. Like for, for example, here's, here's a small thing, right? We've never used the same typeface on two projects. So oh, yeah. that's kind of a, a line that we draw on the sand. Like we're kind of putting the past behind us very rapidly and saying like, okay, if we're moving on to this project, um, let's be careful not to make it too similar to these other projects that we've done in a similar category or not borrow too much of the same motifs that we see in other places. Um, we're continually trying to push our designers and our devs who we very much view as being part of the creative team uh, into new territory. And that has some consequences, right? Like it can kind of feel like you're starting from scratch every time, but that maybe is a good thing because you're sort of figuring out new problems and new approaches to those problems. Um, and it puts pressure on people too, because you're, you're constantly sort of, you know, like put in this position where it's like, well, I have to come up with something new again. Like how much gas can you really, ha can one person really have in their tank? Right. Um, that can be, that can be tricky. Uh, but I think once we can sort of massage that in a place where it's like, actually, this is kind of what you do for a living. And like, let's just remove the barriers of the complexities and let the problems exist within the work. Then it opens up the, the gates and then we can just be free to make what make the project what it needs to be. Does that only apply to typefaces or are you really just trying to push the boundaries every single project and kind of try new things for the sake of kind of leveling up internally and just trying new things to evolve and, and never staying static it's really about never always feeling like we have a place to go right because i think that's the that's the difference between working in a studio or an agency versus working in-house somewhere where you're kind of just like rinse and repeat and the 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 progression of the brand that you're working on is like incremental at best you can only get away with so much before you're sort of pushing on the barriers of what's not acceptable yeah. Here, it's the opposite of that, right? And I think that we've really assembled a team where they crave that. And if they have to work on something too much, then then there's a different sort of pressure that's applied there, right? Where it's like, this feels stale and static now. Like, I'm ready to move on. So I think for the studio, we've really optimized our process to be adaptive and to move 
through like different industries and different verticals, um, mm-hmm. different founders, especially. Right. So I, I feel like we're always like we've we've done a lot of work in venture capital, for example. Right. And it's probably not the thing that comes to mind when you think of Studio Freight or, or our work. But um, it's one of my favorite categories to work within because they all kind of do the same thing, but they have such different approaches and they're always asking for something different. Mm refreshing place to go and see like what we can do with the same kind of information and present it in you know a way that's 10 20 30 percent different than the, than the time that we did it before right so like one vc that we do out of columbus might have a totally different perspective than the one coming out of new york mm-hmm. so the challenges that we uh that we come across in a pro in those projects they're completely different um and we also have to say to ourselves like okay we have to be sure not to just give everybody the same thing we don't want to do that anyway um, how can we really push this to be what it needs to be? Um, you know, and that really just comes down to the people that are involved. You kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier too, right? Like what's the vibe based on, like if you could think about a, like a like an album, for example, right? Like every release that Kendrick Lamar puts out has a totally different like world or universe that's kind yeah. of within it. And I guess that's kind of how we think about our projects too, right? So we, you know, our process sort of allows us to dig into those worlds a little bit and kind of kick over those stones that I don't think that everybody's willing to to, to kick over. Um, and I think because of our people, because of the creative sort of limitations we put around our team and the creative liberties that we give them, um, we're always able to get a different result every time. Um, you know, because there, there, there are force functions there, right? Like, you can't make another blue brand with, you know, uh, with a Clem typeface. Like, you just can't, you can't do it this time. So what else is left on the table? And, and I think some people might look at that challenge and, and think, this is really difficult for me to see beyond that. But if you're willing to kind of get over that hump, that's where the interesting stuff really starts to happen. Now I'm just selfishly prying at your process. Where, where inside of the process do you kind of start to encourage that experimentation? Is it like anywhere from like square one wireframing or is it like round one of the design phase or even like, hey, let's think of a weird concept. How does this brand relate to this idea and what can we push forward? It starts there. And that's really from like a strategic POV, right? And strategy is something that we're continuing to build out at the studio. Actually, some really exciting things to come on that side of things right now. But um, typically coming out of our, our strategy phase, you know, we'll have sort of this big idea that we're trying to latch onto and then figure out, okay, here's one idea. What what routes can we take this thing? How can we really start to push it? How can it manifest? Let's let's look at an example, like something like love, for for instance. Like there are a lot of different types of love. There's romantic love, there's platonic love. Um, those are two very different lanes that we can take this thing, right? Like you feel a lot different about your girlfriend than you do, you know, like like your your best friend or your dog or your love for like, you know, your childhood home. Like those are all different things and have different associations with them. So depending on what it is that we're talking about and what's relevant, we can start to build out different languages where we typically refer to it as vocabularies. We can build out different vocabularies for those things. So obviously romantic love has things like hearts and cherubs and valentines and you know stuff, stuff like that, right? But then there's like this idea of like familial love, mm. right? Like the brotherly love. And it's like, it's something totally different. And so if we talk about brotherly love, it's like one of those things where um, you get maybe some more interesting and insightful things starting to happen where it's like, you know, it's okay for me to beat up my little brother, but nobody else is allowed to do that. Right. Like viciously, it's a totally different like set of, um, vocabulary words and stories and ideas that we get to kind of play with. So 
generally what we'll do is we'll, we'll latch onto a couple of different routes like that. And then the designers will take them and just kind of roll with them and see what comes out of that. And so both, both answers are correct, but generally, you know, the companies that we're working with, they'll, they'll gravitate towards one over the other because one's more obvious and so, but sometimes they're, they're kind of equal, right? Mm. And they'll have a hard time choosing. And that's when we say to them, Hey, you gotta go get buy-in from your team and see what feels right to, to them because you know, there, there's no focus group in the world that's going to qualify that for you. I think a lot of our process is kind of designed around building it for like the company's team and, and internal yeah. missions and trying to make them realize what is best for them. And we always, like you're saying, do two different directions at a minimum so that they can have a hard no and, and kind of see a multitude of different ideas or vibes. And, and or universes. I do like the Kendrick Lamar example, and we'll definitely go back to what your favorite Kendrick album is, and I'll force you to pick on the, for the whole world to hear. But um, I, I think that's a beautiful way to do it because it makes that team have a, a true, clear opinion and hash it out and really kind of figure out what it is that makes their team special and how do they show it visually. Too, it's um, the the best thing that can happen is when we present a concept like that. There's a definitive yes, right? Mm-hmm. This this is absolutely what X company looks like. But the second best thing is for them to be like, we love this. We love them both so much. We actually had a fight over which one it was. Um, which you know, there's a little bit of tension there. And sometimes, you know, I've personally gotten calls from CEOs who, who will be like, I don't know what to choose. Like, can you help guide us? Um, and, and my answer, my response to that is always, they're both right. And you have to choose We can't choose that for you because you know, and understand your business. Just take the weekend to think about it a little bit more. I promise you something will become clear. Um, and let's go from there. And inevitably that's exactly what happens. It seems to go without saying, but get the fuck off of Pinterest. Stop looking at other people's references in order to make work. This is a simple way to end up copying or coming too close to someone else's work. We have to look outside of the screen for our inspiration. And that was a huge takeaway in 2023. Getting off the screen, getting into nature, enjoying hobbies in order to cultivate a life off the screen and outside of work. This is how we fuel ourselves up. This is what makes us us. I took this away from my conversation with Louis Paquette when he talks about his love of cinema and how it inspires him and fuels him in order to create websites that feel like they're world building instead of just a bit of motion design, a bit of branding, and a bit of web design. He does this amazing breakdown comparing it to film, and I think you'll be inspired, so let's roll the clip. On your journey, you had mentioned movies got you into kind of thinking about motion and design what are the movies that kind of fueled you as a child, but then you also come back to time and time again now? Well, for me, I think it it really was these adventure movies. Uh, like like I was mentioning earlier, I think Indiana Jones, it's probably the movie, uh, the Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade for me. Mm-hmm. I think I was the right, uh, the right age to love that movie. And I think it's just my all-time favorite movie. I it's annoying to watch the movie with me in real life because it just I just say all of the 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 lyrics the line the all of the line just before the <laughs> the actor says that 
Um, but yeah, that, that's a great movie for me. All these, I think I've always liked movies where you can kind of just uh, let yourself imagine, uh, you know, get your get out of your regular life and just but, let the movie, uh, you know, inspire you and uh, and bring you to new worlds. And and I think that's you know and. I really don't want to compare my work to to to, uh, to Steven Spielberg Spielberg work and George Lucas, obviously. But that's what I'm trying to do in my project as as best as I can. It's I try to make the user feel something, mm-hmm. um, just like in these movies where it's it's about bringing the user in on an adventure, guiding them. Uh, making them feel something, uh, so it's a lot of storytelling in the in the projects that I do, and it's you know it's a mix of many different things. So it's not just having a nice story, but it's just like in, on a movie, you need to have many different things working perfectly well together to get a good movie. If you have a perfect script for a movie, a great script, but the the realization or you know the direction or the uh, the DOP is not great, then mm. the movie won't be great. And the same thing, if you have a great DOP, everything looks beautiful, but the script isn't that great, it's not going to work as well either. Um, so that's kind of the way that I think about websites. You need to have you know, uh, great content. You need to have a great storytelling, so a great user experience. You need to have a great design, great motion, all of this needs to be perfectly uh, thought up together to to, uh, to create a, a great experience. I think I truly learned the power of creativity and personal expression within 2023. I always had a problem with comparing myself and my work to that of other agencies, but this is not the ideal scenario. This only breeds resentment, it forms competition, and you're always pitting yourself against others. This isn't really a good way to live, and honestly, it caused me a lot of internal turmoil, which was pretty shitty. But I really turned around and came around to this fact that the only way to be successful in the creative industry is to have authenticity and to share our personal journey, but also share our personal perspective. And we can do this through our work, even if we are working with clients and other companies. We can take away references and examples, fuse it with our personal perspective, and shift it to become something that is radically different and new. This is what I learned from Haruko Hayakawa. Let's roll the clip. When I was younger, I I felt the same way where I was like, oh my gosh, there's like these really successful like brand identity designers and they're like at Pentagram and they're doing like really cool things. Like I want to be like them. I want to have a career like them. But I think what I, I kind of figured out, I wish I figured this out earlier, was like to be successful, quote unquote, I think it really comes down to being yourself. Like, it sounds so cliche when you say shit like that. Like, just like be yourself. No, no, really. Like, that really actually is what I think the key to success or, you know, fulfillment is. It's like tapping into these things that like make you feel alive that are very much unique to you. Like, if you actually look at people who have done really interesting things with their careers, that's how they've done it a lot of the times. Like, they have some like 
through passion and interest in this one thing, maybe it's like in kind of a niche industry and they just go for it. So that's kind of my, like, if I could give advice to the younger version of myself, like I would tell them that, like, really it's about like being very much authentic to you and your interests and the things that you love. And that is going to bring you so-called success. Because it doesn't really matter what creative industry you're in. If you have that direct perspective and personality, people are going to want that because it's unique and it's not just like a job where you're copying someone else's style in order to try and achieve like a, like a dumbed down version of what they could do if they just only hired that person. Yeah. And I would love to also, I'd love to like build on that specific kind of to the CG industry that I don't necessarily think you have to have like a super tight visual perspective. If you are like a very technical kind of CG artist, like your thing is that, you know, like a program like Houdini in and out, and you can create almost anything that a client might come to you with a brief for like, that's also super legitimate. Like, I think sometimes like, it's not necessarily just all about the aesthetics of the work you create. Sometimes it's really purely about this like high level skill that you have. So if like, there's anybody out there who's just like, maybe they don't feel like they're necessarily somebody who just wants to create something super stylistic. If you have a really like niche, unique, like skill set because you mm-hmm. love whatever technical craft it, that you're doing, that's also super valuable. Yeah, a hundred percent. I guess it's like any skill is like marketable if you put your mind to it, I guess. Like if you're like the person who knows everything about like all of the tech specs or all of like the the nuances of like a program, like that's inherently valuable. Like you could be a teacher if that was like the case and like share on YouTube like some people are doing. Or like whatever i mean if you are the person who can craft custom back ends that just don't break wow. like that's an inherent skill and people will want that because they need that for whatever business so yeah depends on whatever whatever it is it's like again being yourself like depends on whatever kind of unique thing that you really have a passion for yeah and i guess like the the thing to note is that we all have it it's just the hard process is going through life and trying to find it and really and apparently lock it down and say, okay, these are the things that I can probably lean into a bit more. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think one of the things that I do say is just like, stop listening to other people. Like yeah. you need to listen to yourself. Cause a lot of people are going to give you a lot of advice. That's going to be based on their life experience. But I think as us as creatives, we have to be able to listen to ourselves and we have to be able to kind of I think deep within us, we all have kind of some sort of sense of like a higher wisdom or higher knowledge of what we're truly trying to like, we're we're truly connected with. And I think you have to listen to that. And I think some people really struggle listening to that because maybe their parents are saying one thing or their friends only think this one way of being is valid and cool or whatever. But I think, you know, if there's one thing, again, like I'm saying, like, what would I tell my younger self? I would say that I have, like, you have to just, like, listen to yourself. This lesson was a perfect reminder because not all of us are as business savvy as we are creative. So this lesson is all about how to handle your money. And in 2024, I think this is essential. 
We need to diversify our income, bringing in passive income, finding interesting or creative ways in our service offerings so that things are coming in without a ton of man hours. So if you can do that through routine maintenance, whether you're a web builder or designer or developer, if you can do that through having retainer clients, if you can do that through passive income with prod products, projects, or individual type of recurring revenue streams, that I think is essential in 2024 because it allows us in the lean times to still have a source of income that can give us that boost to the next month when we close our next project or our next deal. This is an essential lesson that I took away from my conversation with Amy and Jen of Hoodspot. Revenue stream. I always, we do this at the end of every year. We're like really, we try to be really hands-on with our money because you can, you can, be broken just as quickly as you're made if you're not careful with your money. Like there's lean times. And I think everyone's realizing that now. No, everyone thought it was just up, 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 but the economy can crash just as quickly as it goes up, up, up and much faster. So I think it's just really smart to have a lot of savings, have a lot of padding. And for our business, I would say, I think recently we looked and as of right now with the, the bigger clients we've been getting, our fonts are about only 10% of our income, which I was really surprised at because they, they do pretty well. And then our shop, I would say, is probably about another 10 to 20% with our book and our courses. And the course in and of itself is probably 5%. It does really well. Yeah. So it's maybe like yeah. 25% from yeah. the shop. So and yeah, probably 25% from the shop. And then probably about 60% from brand identity, identity work. Clients. That lets like new core brand identity work. Let's see, 70, 80. Probably the remainder is retainer and then little one-off stuff for returning clients who are like oh i just need to quick this or quick that you know yeah. um yeah but yeah but i think we try to keep it like 60 percent is new new business because obviously mm -hmm. that's just the nature of brand identity work it's usually new new people yeah. and then you know we have we like to have at least like 30 percent if we can retainer i would say wouldn't you say you know and then like the the shop kind of builds on itself mm -hmm. and um those numbers are a bit vague, but you know what I mean? Yeah, they didn't add up yeah. the second they time. Like they didn't the time at all. <laughs> the first but, time, but you know, that's creative math. It's good to have, it's good to have at least, I think, 20 to 30% retainer work because then you're not chasing every single thing. And it doesn't or even have shop. to be on retainer, just yeah. people who are returning yes. that you've mm -hmm. already built rapport with. It's not hard work. The hard work has been established. They're already on a kind of like ongoing master agreement. It's just like we agree to the term, we agree to a new scope and we just get off the ground. Because do onboarding agreements, all that jazz, getting to know a client, it takes so much effort and time. So yeah, mm -hmm. too true. One really game-changing lesson is that we can design our business model to fit our business. We don't have to do a cookie cutter version of someone else's or some business books proposition. We can adapt our processes, our strategy, our ideology, and form a business plan and a way of producing income that works for our specific needs and lifestyle. This became hyper clear when I talked with Mike Kern I, I was listening to you and Ben chat about this and I think like about the, the idea that like, it would be really, somebody said it would be really hard to start an agency today. And I like kind of agree with that sentiment. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is I feel like I see, or maybe it's that I just don't know that they exist, but I feel like I've seen people that I knew transition that were working at a bigger companies transition to freelancing. And then I've seen 
people that I knew kind of band together and form small studios. And I mean, like, I don't know what numbers they're doing, but it seems like they're doing good because they're showing really kick-ass work, whether it's real or not, it got my attention. And so, I mean, it causes me to like, think I'm like, wow, maybe there's more work going on than I think is even possible if, if all these people can maintain it or that it's a smaller budget and they're only like one to two people and they can take on things to get their name out. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, it would be fun to do like some analysis of the market today. I mean, I, you know, it's like my position today is so different. Um, it's like my team now is 150 people across the, <laughs> the North America. And so it's a bit different. I think today, if you were starting an agency today, there's like a very different strategy playbook than like what I had at the time. Um, I think, you know, we had a, we had a really easy go, right? Cause at the time when I was going, it was, uh, the big traditional advertising agencies had no idea how to do digital. They just like, didn't know what, what, to, how to even get started. And so like any of us who did, you know, we're easily like, we could just get on the vendor list and then prove ourselves and then, you know, grow pretty quickly on the digital front. Um, maybe the same thing's happening on the AI front. I do see a lot of people like, I need an AI consultant to do X, Y, Z. And so, so maybe that's out there, but I don't know. I feel like AI is a lot simpler than trying to learn flashback in the day or trying. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. You can't just like do some go Google how to prompt, how to make a prompt. What would you say if you were to give a playbook for a modern or small agency now, what, what do you think would be some of those playbook rules? Ooh, well, um, you know, I was supposed to actually have a conversation today with someone that's running a subscription-based design agency. I'm super curious about how these are running. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've had any experience with this. Um, so there are a number of these these guys out there. Maybe they're freelancers or maybe they're like ex-project managers or whatever they are. And they're like, we're going to have a subscription-based design business. And so uh, you know, they're charging, I don't know, five grand a month or 10 grand a month. And they'll basically do a list of tasks for you and churn those out. That's a unique look at the market. Mm-hmm. And I'm so curious if it works because in my mind, as like someone who builds brands, I don't know about this. I feel very strange about it. Um, and I'm not going to like, like until I do the research and actually talk mm-hmm. to people who are running studios like this. Um, and it's funny, a lot of the ones that are more successful are running off the backs of influencers, right? So they're running off the back of like, you know, somebody who has a prominent podcast, um, you know, like a, I, I, I was just, I think the guy I was talking to, I think is affiliated with like Sahil Bloom and like Sahil Bloom's got a huge following. And so like, cool, like maybe that's how they're leveraging that. I just am like really skeptical on if that works or not. Um, so that's one playbook. That's an idea for a playbook. I don't know if that's the one I would follow, but it does seem to be gaining traction in the last six to 12 months. I think there's a playbook that we've all seen. I think even, I think you guys have done it a bit. Like you you do a bit of pro, like you'll just do your own projects, do your own work. That's just like top notch high end. And then somebody else sees that and they, they say, oh, I've got an affinity for that. And like we're saying, like, like Ben did that with his, with his project for a little while. I think there is, 
I think that's really good for like uh, people transitioning from freelance to wanting to build a studio because uh, they're getting to churn out the kind of work that they would want clients to come to them for. Um, so I think that's one playbook. And I think then the other side is probably the social side, right? Like, so mm -hmm. if you, if you want to invest heavily, like a, you know, like a Chris Doe or somebody like that and like building your own brand, um, I think that can have significant wins for you as well. Uh, I don't know if my methodology of white label to fortune 500 will work today. Um, I imagine some people are trying it and it's probably working for some of them. Um, so I guess if I had to choose a playbook today, um, I don't know. I'm the grit guy. I'm like, <laughs> you just turn out cool, good work that like earns respect among peers. Um, and then do projects with said peers until, until I can like make a mark. And I think that resonates with me personally. Thank you so much for watching. Now I want to hear from you. I want to hear what your favorite lesson from this video was. Put that down in the comments, but more importantly, I want to hear what your biggest takeaway from 2023 was that you're bringing in to 2024 to up your freelance game, to up your creativity. We all need to learn and grow together. So drop it in the comments. And if you like this type of format, we'll do more in the future. Let us know, drop it in the comments or shoot Rogue a DM on Instagram or LinkedIn. And we can do more recap episodes and lessons and short form videos that aren't, you know, two hours long. So, but remember, we're all on our own individual journey. So take the time to be kind, grind and unwind. Let's make the world a better and more creative place. You got this. Enjoy 2024. Cheers.